All right, are you ready to receive what the Lord has through our pastor? There's an expectancy. All right, well, open your hearts to receive. Good evening. All right, are y'all ready to jump back into Romans? A few of you. The rest of you are like, yeah, I don't know. I was hoping we were done with that. Is your expectation on? Are you ready for Romans? That's great because we're not going to Romans. See, I set you up for that, didn't I? Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We will get back to Romans. And um, I'm looking forward to it because I've been studying in it. And I'm excited about some of the things that I've been seeing. And... But tonight, we're going to talk about a different, story, a different subject. How many people here like things that are fast? Awesome. Then you're going to love this subject. We're going to talk about praying and fasting. Yeah, set you up again. Praying and fasting. I once had someone ask, well, why is it called fasting if it seems so slow? I don't know. We believe in the effectiveness of prayer, don't we? I mean, that's why we pray, because we believe we're going to get an answer to our prayer. Or you could just do it as a religious exercise, you know, checking the box, and this is what religious people do. If that's why you're praying, I would say do something else. You know, you can play Candy Crush, and it's just as profitable. But if you believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him, and that as we pray to the Father, and as we have fellowship and conversation with the Father, that He would reward that, if you believe the prayers you pray would actually be answered, let me ask a question this way. If you believed all your prayers would absolutely be answered, what might we pray for? Probably a lot more even than what we are praying for. A lot more detailed prayers. Rather than just, you know, throwing a quick blanket over it. Lord, I pray for the whole world. Amen. There, everything's covered. (laughs) See, that's just the lazy man's way. So Jesus taught us many things about prayer. And in our home groups, we've been praying together. And we've been having short teachings on prayer. And we're going to continue to do that into uh, the first of the year. But we know that Jesus, He taught us to pray in love. He taught the disciples to pray in faith. He taught them that we must ask. Ask and you shall receive. So you have to ask. That's that's on us. He said there is a time to pray and then there's a time to say some things. They're not the same thing. He taught us to be persistent in prayer. Right? Persistent. And to be intercessors in prayer. You can stand in the gap on behalf of somebody or something else. But then there's prayer and fasting. You know how all the people that don't believe in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how they kind of just read fast over the, those parts in their Bibles? Because, yeah, I don't know, you know, well, yeah, tongues, yeah, I don't know, that was back then. Let's go on to more important things, love, yeah, love, the love chapter. Well, and if you don't know your Bible, those two chapters are side by side, is why I said it that way. That's kind of how a lot of Christians are with fasting. Oh yeah, prayer, yes. Fasting, yeah, I don't know, that's, yeah. That's for people that, I don't know, are in deep trouble. But for us, let me just read a couple of scriptures to you of, you can just listen. Out of Daniel 9.3. Now the background to this is Daniel's in captivity in Babylon and he is... Um, come across the writings of Ezekiel where it says their captivity is going to be 70 years. 
And he discovers this. And he realizes that we're at 70 years. And so he does something. He's, in Daniel 9.3 it says, So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And if you go on and you read Daniel 9.10 and some of the other chapters there, you'll see that he got his answers. In fact, one of the answers took two weeks for it to come. And so he fasted for two weeks. And then the answer showed up in the form of an angel that said to him, hey, from the first day that you started praying, I came on the way with your answer, but I was stopped by this other spirit over this other kingdom, and I went to fight with him, and, and I wasn't winning, so I went back and got Michael the archangel to come help me, and then we broke through, and so here I am with the message for you. And now I have to leave and go back and fight this guy again. See, there's a whole realm out there that we're just largely unaware of. And so, did his fasting, you know, if, if Daniel, from the first day, the answer was already dispatched. Now, it didn't arrive to him for two weeks later, and he didn't quit fasting until the answer arrived, but it's important to note that the answer was sent, it was answered the very first day. In Acts 10.30, another example, so Cornelius, remember the, the uh, commander? He has himself a whole you know, brigade of guys that answer to him. And he's a Gentile. He's not even a Jew. And he, it says, does alms and fasts often. And one day when he was fasting and praying, he, he loved the Lord. And um, the Lord gave him a vision and said, hey, call for Peter and ask Peter to come. And he tells him, gives him the address where Peter's at and says, have him come and, and he has some things to tell you. Well, we know the rest of the story by reading Acts, right? So Peter, um, the Lord tells him to go because he really wasn't supposed to be going to a Gentile's house like that. And so the Lord tells him to go. And so he goes to the commander's house and he comes in. And this is what the commander tells him. He asks him, well, wh why'd you send for me? And so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He was praying and fasting, and an angel appeared. A couple chapters later in Acts, it says the church was gathered together. This was a corporate fast. It says, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So here we see a corporate fast. You know, the church was fasting together and they were, they were ministering to the Lord together and, and the Lord spoke to them and there was revelation in that moment. And so then they fasted, prayed, laid hands on them and sent them on their way. A, a chapter later, it says, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see a lot of Personal fasting, but we see a lot of corporate, church-wide fasting as well. Now, some of you are already afraid that I'm going to ask you to fast. <laughs> I can feel it in the air. Alright? I'm going to ask you to fast, but you get to choose what and how that looks. Alright? So there's no need to be afraid. Alright? I'm not going to tell you how it needs to look. I'm just going to ask you to pray about some things and fast about some things. And we'll get into those things a little bit later. So there, now you can set that aside and go, now I know how this is going to be. 
Matthew 6, did you find it? All right, in just a little bit of background context, because I want to set you up for what I'm going to say next. In the first four verses, he talks to them about their alms giving. And he's telling them how to do it. And alms is, is when you give money to the poor. Okay, that's what alms is. And in verse 3, he says this, Jesus is speaking. He says, when you give to the poor, and then he gives them instructions. So it's not if you give to the poor. Jesus expects his disciples to give to the poor. It's a done deal. It's not a matter of we're discussing the ifs. He's saying when you do it, this is how you do it. Jesus, in fact, said, one, you know, this is how you will know. All men will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. And we're supposed to do that for the poor, especially those who are of the household of faith, is what Scripture tells us. If you look down in verses 5 through 8, he begins to talk to them about prayer. And, you know, the hypocrites, they pray a certain way and don't do it that way. And then finally in verse 6 he says, but when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, it is expected that you will pray. And then he gives directions on, on prayer over the next number of verses. So if you look over now into verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, there it is again, not if you fast, it is expected you will fast. Done deal. When you do it, here's how to do it is what he's telling them. Now, if Jesus would tell you to... If Jesus walked into this room tonight and He came walking down the center aisle in His glowing robe and He turned around and said, Hi, guys. What would you say? Hi. Hi. Yeah, some of you sit there in silence, evidently. The rest of you, <laughs> those that greeted Him, if He said, Now, listen, guys. I want you to do something. I want you to fast. Would you do it? Yeah, yeah we would. We know the right answer is yes. All right? And... But that's what he is doing. He's here with us tonight. Right here's his word. He says, when you fast, it's expected that we will, right? When you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly or visibly. It is what the word means. So the Lord, when you fast, do it unto the Lord and... It's not for people. It's not to impress people. Just like, that's what he said about prayer too. Do it in secret. And that's to guard your heart so that your motives are pure. It doesn't mean you can't pray in public. Jesus prayed in public all the time. But he's just telling them, hey look, guard your heart. Make sure your motives are pure. Do it in the closet where no one knows you did it. And the same way with the fasting. He's saying, do it in a way that people they don't know. Because it's not to them. It's not to impress them. And your father, he sees it. He's aware of it. He knows it. Go over to Mark chapter 9. In fact, if you would, on the way, find Matthew 17. And stick a finger in there. Leave it attached to your hand though. And then go over to Mark 9. Mark 9. And let's look um, in verse 14. So, what has just happened is Jesus... And the disciples were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was praying. And interestingly, when He was praying... Let's just back up a little bit. What is prayer? 
Prayer is conversation with the Lord. It's fellowship with the Lord. It's you talking to Him, Him, you listening to Him. Prayer is not just a box that we check to make sure that, you know, I did my due diligence. No, prayer is a real conversation, a real thing with a real God. And so Jesus is on the mountain. He's Peter, James, and John with him. And he's praying. And suddenly the transfiguration happens. And Moses and Elijah show up and talk to him. And he learns about some of the things that are going to happen as he goes to Calvary. So he received a major revelation while he was praying. While he was praying. And Jesus, he would go out and pray all the time. It says that he would uh, sometimes pray all night and that he would often withdraw to a deserted place and pray. And if the sinless, spotless Son of God needed that much prayer time, surely you and I probably do too. Or have we somehow arrived at a greater level of faith that we can have a lot less prayer time and accomplish just as much? You know, no, that's ridiculous. But see, the danger is, is when you start going, oh, okay, so I need to pray a lot like Jesus, it starts to become a work. See, if you don't come out of your prayer time feeling charged up, you're doing it wrong. If it was just like, oh, boy, this was glad that's over now. Can we get on to more exciting things? Then you're doing it wrong. You should come out of your prayer time feeling like, ooh, yeah, boy, the greater one's in me. I'm ready to go, man. I'm on fire. That's what, you'll get direction in that time with the Lord as you talk with Him and as you listen to Him. And Lord, is there anything I should know about today? And, and what about so and so? And, and on and on and on. So, major revelation while he was praying. Now look in verse 14. So they come down off the mountain and they're coming back to find the disciples. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, around the disciples, and scribes disputing with them. So the disciples and the scribes having some sort of argument. There's a big crowd. Huh, what's going on up here? When the whole crowd saw Him, they were amazed. Wow, we're just talking about you. Here you show up. They're amazed and they run to greet Him. And He asks them, what are you arguing with them about? And crickets. Nobody wants to fess up what they're arguing about because, well, when we keep reading the story, we know why. Because they were unsuccessful in what the Lord had sent them to go to. And so, uh, you tell them. Nah, you tell them. I don't know. I think, well, let's just let him find out by himself. Someone from the crowd answers him and says, Teacher, seeing that the disciples didn't even tell him. Someone from the crowd says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. See, the Father came to the disciples believing they could do something about this. That's why He comes to them. But now, the circumstances and His experience are saying they can't do anything about this. So maybe, you know, then there's the whole question of maybe it's not God's will that I'm free of this devil. Well, we know that's not the case because Jesus is going to show us what His will is here in a moment. And He's going to deliver the little boy and set him free. But determining the will of God by your circumstances will lead to deception and false doctrines. So don't do that. Determine the will of God by what He says rather than by what happened in your life or Aunt Susie's life. Alright? I brought Him to your disciples and they couldn't. Verse 19, He replied to them, you faithless, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy. See, that's why they didn't want to tell him. 
Because Jesus is a little chapped off about it. Come on, you guys. How long have I got to put up with you all? You know how to do this. Get it together. That's right. So, verse 20. So they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Man, he's making a scene. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it's thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, now he, he came believing to the disciples, but now that failure has even caused him to begin questioning if Jesus can do anything about it. Maybe this devil's just too big. Maybe the problem's just too big. Maybe the debt's just too large. Maybe the relationship is just too broken. Are you here? Did you go home? All right. Jesus said in verse 23, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. That's the only requirement. The one that believes. Not the one who lives perfectly. Not the one who has got it all together. Just one requirement. He that believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, He rebuked the unclean spirit. All spirits have that in common. They're unclean. Saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of Him and never enter Him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing Him into terrible convulsions. And the boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking Him by the hand, raised Him up and He stood up. After he'd gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, hey, why couldn't we drive it out? So if you're holding a finger in Matthew, Matthew 17, go back over there now. And because that gives us a little more detail than Mark's account does. Matthew 17 and look at verse 19. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? So here's Jesus' answer. Because of your unbelief, because of your little faith, is how this translation reads. Unbelief, or lack of faith, is how the literal says it. Because of your lack of faith, He told them. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Did Jesus live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting? Did He have to go away quickly to pray and fast so that He could cast this devil out? No. Jesus wasn't talking about these devils can't be cast out unless you pray and fast. He was talking about the unbelief. The unbelief, this kind, this kind of unbelief, doesn't get removed except by prayer and fasting. And if you'll deal with the unbelief, now you're going to walk in authority. See, what is fasting? Does fasting somehow give you more authority? Or maybe fasting makes the name of Jesus greater? No, no, okay. No, our authority is in the name of Jesus. And fasting does not make Him any greater, any, any more powerful. Nothing like that. Does fasting give us more power? You're getting ahead of me. Just settle down. 
Does fasting give us power? No, if you fast to get power, you're just into some sort of hocus-pocus voodoo now. That's what they do. No, our, our power is in the Holy Spirit. So does the length of the fast make a difference? Some of you are like, this is a trap. <laughs> Don't answer it. Does the length of the fast make a difference? Some say yes. Some say no. Maybe. Okay, so let me ask it a different way. Can you fast and pray in five minutes? No. No, you can't. You can pray in five minutes, but what are you fasting in five minutes? Maybe you could fast oxygen for five minutes. <laughs> if you're really good. I'm going to do without breath five minutes. Lord, I'm fasting, pray, this is over. Maybe that's why they call it fast. No, there, I suppose, is some time constraints involved. So, let's just take food, for example. You can't fast and pray a meal in five minutes. Right? So, you could, the length of a meal or the space of a meal, so there is some time that's involved, but that isn't, isn't the point here. But I did want to point out that, you know, some people think, well, you know, I did, you know, five minutes without a sip of coffee, so I've fasted coffee, I'm good. Yeah, maybe we should lift up our, uh, our eyes a little bit. So how about a 40-day fast? You ever hear of anyone that did a 40-day fast? Yeah. Jesus did, right? He was out. That was a supernatural thing, I believe. Um, Elijah did. But it says he went on the strength of some angel food that he ate, a cake, and that he went on the strength of that cake for like 40 days. So, some good stuff. I'd like to get a hold of that. And five-hour energy ain't got nothing on that. And so that was a supernatural thing. And then Moses did it, but he was up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, right? And in a fire cloud, you don't survive that either, but there's lots of miracles taking place for Moses. And so... A 40-day fast is not the norm, and there's many types of fasts. You've got the Daniel fast, that you've got the Esther fast. You know, there's fasts where you, you only have water, or there's fasts where you might miss one meal, or there's a fast for a whole day, or maybe multiple days, or even weeks. Or maybe you just fast any sweet bread. You know, there's, there's many types of fasts, and so that's for you to decide, um, okay, Lord, I'm going to fast, and what's it going to be? And you figure that out with Him. Some people say, well, why can't fast food? Um, you can fast, all right? Just get with the Lord and, and decide how you're going to do it and what you're going to do it, and, and you can do it. So, what's the purpose of fasting? Is it to impress God? He's like, man, look at them. They're really serious now. All right, fine, I'll give you what you want. That was impressive. You guys went two weeks. All right, I'll, I'll give it to you. Is that what fasting does? Somehow it gets God to say, yeah, okay. No, fasting, I know Shane, you want to get ahead of me again, don't you? Fasting affects you, not God, right? It affects you. And we talked about prayer being fellowship with God. Well, fasting is just abstaining from certain things in order to fellowship with God. So maybe you're fasting uh, an entire meal. Maybe you're just fa only eating only necessary food. Maybe that's your fast. Maybe you're fasting 
I mean, coffee or, or whatever it is, it should be something that is a cost for you, though. And there's a reason for that, and I'll explain that in a moment. It's not for God's sake. It's not to impress Him that, look what I gave up, Lord. He doesn't need that. But you need it. Let me say it this way. Fasting one thing simply makes so that you can do something else more fully. Right? So think about mealtime. If I'm going to fast lunch, let's say, all the meal prep time, all the eating of the meal, all the cleaning up of the meal, that could all that time I could have spent with the Lord, talking to Him, fellowshipping with Him. That's, what, that's how a fast would look, right? If you were fasting a meal. And so I gave up one thing so that I could do something else more fully, give myself fully to this. Because a lot of times we live, if you're like me, you like to multitask and do two things at once or, you know, whatever. So, oh, it's nice to try to pray while you're doing something else. Now, I like to pray while I'm showering. It works great. But there are times that you need to just forsake all other activities. And it's just you and God. You and the Lord. And if you can't put your phone down, go put it in the other room and then come back to this room. Right? But make so that it's just you and the Lord. And FYI, fasting without praying is dieting. Okay? Because sometimes people go, okay, I'm going to fast, but then they never prayed the whole time. Say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm going to do a diet, and I'll pray at the same time so I can call it fasting. Okay, you decide. So, fasting is not proving how spiritual you are. It doesn't give you more power. It doesn't give you more authority. But what fasting does do is it affects your sensitivity to the Lord and in the spiritual realm. It affects your ability to yield to the Father. Because you learning to say no to yourself is a very important skill to have. You learning to be able to say no to your flesh. If you can't say no to your flesh, then you're going to have a lot of areas in your life that you're going to be really weak. Because a large part of this life we're walking around in is flesh. Right? And so we have to rule our flesh. There, in Galatians it calls it being spirit-led rather than flesh-led. And so your spirit man, the real you on the inside, your spirit person, if you're a spirit-led person, then you're not, your flesh isn't the decider for you. You're aware of flesh, but that's not the decider for you. And the thing is, is that the more you yield to your flesh, the easier it is to yield to your flesh. I mean, is that true? Yeah. The more you do something, the easier it is to continue doing it. The more you... Um, it's on the flip side, it, it works as well. The more you do something like go to the gym, for example... You know, you, you have this routine, you start going, the first week's painful, it takes extraordinary discipline the first two weeks, and then after that, you kind of get into this groove and rut, and, and you begin to look forward to that time in the gym and that exercise, and, and after a while, you realize, I just feel so much better when I'm working out on a regular basis, and so what you're yielding to becomes stronger with you, right? Going to the gym. But then all of a sudden, maybe because you go on a trip or life gets busy or it was Thanksgiving week or Christmas and New Year's week and there's all kinds of feasting. and So you don't go to the gym for a week or two. And suddenly, the longer you don't go to the gym, the easier it is to not go to the gym. Because you know when I go back, there's going to be a lot of pain. 
right? So what you yield to becomes stronger, be it good or be it bad, or be it immaterial. The same is true applies in the spirit realm. The more that you yield to something in the spirit realm, the stronger that's going to become, the sharper, the more sensitive that area, the more aware of it you'll become. If you yield to an evil spirit of rage, and you start just just flipping out and going into a rage, guess what? It's going to be easier next time to do it again. And easier and easier and easier to fall into that and yield to that. But if you are operating and you control yourself and you say no to the flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit and to His leading, that will become easier. You'll be more sensitive in this realm. You'll be more aware of God, of His presence. And saying no to your flesh and fasting does that just simply makes you more sensitive and more aware in the spiritual realm. You know, in Ephesians 4.19, it said, did you know that you can, become, you can become sharp and sensitive spiritually, but you can also become dull spiritually? Spiritually dull, in, unsensitive. In Ephesians 4.19, it says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, fleshliness, let's say, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. So they've just yielded and yielded and yielded until they have become, they're not, their sensitivity is like at an all-time low and they've just given themselves over to something. But that doesn't have to be you and I because we can become sharper and more sensitive in the spiritual realm. I mean, if we, if we put ourselves in a position to where we begin to yield to our flesh and yield to our flesh, I mean, come on, is your flesh your God? This is not about you proving something to anybody else. This is about you, right? In uh, Philippians 3.19, it says, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, fleshliness. And they're just stomach run. And so, you know, those whole, they've made whole commercials around this. You know, you see a commercial, this guy's grumpy, he needs a Snickers bar. See? Right? And so, because they're flesh run, and I, I realize, I understand that can affect your mood and blood sugars and hormones, and I get it. I understand that. But we still don't yield to our flesh. Our flesh isn't in the driver's seat, is it? We're aware that it's that way, but then that just means now we're going to be spirit-led and choose differently. Who's in charge? You or your stomach? You or your flesh? Let's go back to Mark 9 where we were. So they asked the question, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus says, because of your lack of faith, and here's how to deal with that lack of faith, fasting and prayer drives it out. Okay, so being... Spending fellowship with the Father, praying, that would definitely inspire faith. And fasting, saying no to your flesh, means that you're more fully doing something else. And your sensitivity and your antennas are more alert and more in tune, you could say. So here in Mark 9, you go on and let's look at verse 33, a little bit later in the chapter. So they go now continue their journey, and it says they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asks them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. Here they are again. They sure don't answer him very much when he asks questions. They're silent because on the way, they'd been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sounds like a whole 
bushel basket full of fleshiness, doesn't it? Definitely not a spiritual thing, or in a good way. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Putting yourself last is saying no to your flesh. Being a servant to all is saying no to your flesh to go serve yourself. Nobody's flesh likes to be a servant. If you see someone that, man, they just they thrive in serving other people, it's because they have found something of value in serving other people, not because their flesh is enjoying it. And Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is how you become promoted and serve others. Be a servant to all. This is an answer to fleshiness. It's much like saying pray and fast. In Psalms 35, 13, it says, I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer was genuine. I humbled myself with fasting. Why does fasting humble yourself? Because anytime you deny your flesh, that's humbling to your flesh. Anytime you say no to your flesh, you are humbling that flesh. Then nope, you're not going to have your way right now. I'm going to do this instead. And so he's, he's saying, I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer was genuine. And what happens to the humble? They get the, the what? The help, the grace. Yeah, that's what grace is. It's help. God helping you, enabling you, empowering you. Him coming to help you do something. And James says that the humble get the grace. So one of the ways we humble ourselves is just saying no to our flesh in order to have fellowship with the Father. In other words, this fellowship with you, Father, is more important to me than my food. And flesh, you're going to get in line with this and just stay in the Father's presence. It's not to impress Him. It's just you ruling you. Go over to Isaiah 58. So who gets the grace? The humble, not the proud and the self-serving. Isaiah 58. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted but you have not seen? We've denied ourselves but you haven't noticed. See, they think denying oneself is to get his attention. And then he answers them, look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. What is that? On the day when they're supposed to be fellowshipping with the Lord and seeking the Lord, they're actually just doing their own pleasures, doing as they please, they're oppressing others. Sounds a little bit self-serving, doesn't it? Yeah, not a servant at all. But actually taking advantage of people. He goes on and he gives more detail in verse 4. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fists. You cannot fast as you do today hoping to make your voice heard on high. See, we do not fast to make our voice heard on high. In Romans 10, we'll get to this in a couple weeks, it talks about the word of faith. And it says, don't say who will go up and bring Christ down or who will go down and bring Christ up. Because faith is different than that. Faith believes it receives. We don't have to bring Him to a certain place. We don't have to impress Him here with fasting. Verse 5, Will a fast I choose be like this? 
a day for a person to deny himself and to bow his head like a reed and to spread out with sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this fast a day acceptable to the Lord? See, what? I'm supposed to be impressed? Verse 6, he starts to really get into, here's what he'd like to see. Isn't the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness? To untie the ropes of the yoke? To set the oppressed free? And to tear off every yoke? This begins to sound a whole lot like a servant of all, doesn't it? So you're doing, you're fasting, you're praying, you're interceding on for someone else's benefit. It's not a selfish prayer. Lord, I wanted that Corvette for two years now. I'm going to fast and pray and see if I can't twist the Lord's arm into giving me that Corvette. Wasn't Jesus, when He cast that devil out of that little boy and broke the ropes and set the oppressed free and He, he broke the chains of wickedness on that little boy. I mean, Jesus lived a fasted and prayed lifestyle. And so there was no unbelief in him. And the results of that fast was this little boy being set free. Not fasting so that he actually had the authority or power to do it. That was already there. He goes on in verse 7. He says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Don't get so caught up in doing the good things of serving everyone else that you forget to serve your own family. Then your light will appear like the dawn. And your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you. And the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. I mean, this in a nutshell expresses what the Lord's heart is for humanity. That they'd be set free. That the yokes would be taken off. And that, that they would walk in freedom. And that you would share your bread with the hungry. And, and bring you know, the poor and the homeless into the house. And clothe the naked. And, and on and on. But in our comfortable life, it's really easy to uh, focus on our needs, isn't it? Did you know that the more you build a comfort zone around yourself the easier it is to always stay in that comfort zone. And comfort zones are deadly. Make yourself uncomfortable on purpose. Just for the principle of showing your flesh, no, you're not the boss. Verse 9, at that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, He will say, here I am. And if you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing, the malicious speaking, if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. And your problems will dissolve. And the darkness that's come against you will turn into bright, middle day, sun's in the middle of the sky because I'm serving someone else. Let's say it this way. The work of the kingdom. He's just bringing them back to stop this ritual, stop this nonsense, and do the work of the kingdom. And then here's more benefit. Verse 11, the Lord will always lead you. So live that kind of fasted life and the Lord leads you. He satisfies you. Now why would the Lord do all of that? Because He's keenly interested in those that are working for Him. Walking with Him. Doing His work. He's going to move heaven and earth to make sure you have what you need to continue that work. But if we're caught up in the American dream and doing our own thing, and guess what? You're kind of on your own. 
He says he's going to satisfy you in a parched land. That's good news. So, so downturns in the economy and inflation aren't going to affect you. That's a parched land, right? It's strengthening your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls. The restorer of streets where people live. The person who is a servant of all is now the greatest. The servant of all. Putting shoes on people's feet like you have. You know, I I watch you guys serve each other and serve the Lord in all kinds of ways and it's amazing to watch. Please don't stop that. But make sure that you're doing it to the Lord. And not just because, well, so-and-so asked me or, or those kind of things. Verse 13, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day. See, what was the point of the Sabbath? It was for rest. But the Lord wanted them to have a day. One day a week that was set aside for Him. One day that was considered holy. And Lord, this is a day that we're going to fellowship with You. We're going to set this day aside and really be in tune with You. And they'd get in big trouble when they'd not do this because then they would begin to live the lifestyles that were not righteous, right? Well, here he's giving them some instructions. He's saying, you know, if you call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, or talking business, some translations say, then you will delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride over the heights of the land. That's an airplane verse, by the way. And let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, I was raised in an environment where Sunday was considered, I mean, you didn't even discuss your work on Sunday. And we weren't allowed to play any sports, and and there's some value in the way they did things. The problem was, you know, we never would have went out to eat. That would have just been horrible to go pay some. I remember, I'm old enough, I remember when gas stations were closed on Sunday. Right? A bunch of you remember that too. Restaurants were closed on Sunday because you don't work on Sunday. Well, as time went on, we know that's not the case now, and many of us would go out and eat on, on a Sunday. But I always found it humorous because they, they, we grew up, you know, you would never go out and pay money for a meal. You would never pay something on a Sunday. But we would go home and work our moms to death making this huge Sunday meal because that was okay to work that way, right? And I was always like, well, why? if someone's going to work, let's let it be the heathen. Let's pay them. You guys rest. But they didn't think that was, that was right. So if you work on a Sunday, I'm not calling you a heathen. That was my thinking then. I'm going to encourage you to be like Paul because the question of which holy day came up for Paul and Paul said this. He said, some consider one day holy and some consider another day holy and so forth. He said, I wish you'd all just be like me and consider every day holy. Oy. Yeah, every day is the Lord's day. See, it used to be one day. Now it should be every day is holy to the Lord. Alright, let's go back over to Luke 12. So, Jen read to us from Luke 12 in the offering and about worry and how all these things are provided for us and and on and on and on. And in verse 31 it says, 
Seek His kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heavy, heaven. Where Yes, it will be heavy. Where no thieves come near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he makes this next statement. And this has to do with what we're studying tonight. Be ready for service. And have your lamps lit. Be ready to serve. And your lamp is lit, ready for service. Are you ready? You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Don't keep him waiting. When the Lord says something, you don't want to keep him waiting. You want to be Johnny on the spot. Verse 37, blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and then come and serve them. So being alert and ready gets the master's attention. Being in faith gets the master's attention. And if you want to help yourself be alert and ready, then fasting will help you do that. That's the purpose of fasting. Not to impress God, but to move you to a position where you become more sensitive and where you live a fasted lifestyle. We know what 1 John says. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask for anything according to His will, He listens to us. See, A fasted lifestyle, if you become more sensitive in the spirit realm, you're going to be more sensitive to what the Father wills. And your prayers, you'll find you have more answered prayers, not because you've impressed the Lord, but because you have prayed prayers that are in line with His will. You're more aware of His will. And if you ask anything according to His will, it says He listens to us. And if we know that He listens to our request, we can be sure that we have what we've asked Him for. So this is the purpose of fasting. And I want to ask you for the rest of this month, in the month of October, in fact, we could just say up until election. Up until the election. You know, whether you fast something every day, whether you fast once a week, whether you just fast once between now and then, that's entirely up to you. But corporately, I want to call you to some kind of fast, of praying and fasting, and in particular, praying out the things that need to happen in this coming election. Their righteousness would come back to our land in the form of people having revival and of the, in the form of right people coming into the positions that they need to be in. So that's one thing. I have five other prayer requests here that you can write down if you'd like. And um, these are the things that when you pray and fast, I want you to lift these up to the Lord and ask for these particular things. <clears throat> and if you... In your time of prayer and fasting, if you feel like the Lord shows you something, hey, share it with someone. Share it with me. Send me an email. Um, In fact, just this past week, uh, um, I got an email that said, hey, you know, the Lord was showing me this and this and this, and I felt like the Lord was calling us that we should like have a corporate fast at church. And I don't want to tell you who sent the email because I don't want to embarrass Katie, but anyhow, so she says, you know... I feel like the Lord is calling us to a corporate fast. And so I sent an email back saying, yes, I've already planned to minister that this weekend. See, she was in tune. 
And so I encourage you, if, if the Lord shows you something, you know, as, we, as we've been praying about church planting, some of you have been getting some things and coming to me, and every last one of the things that you guys came to me, the Lord had already ministered to me, and you guys were a confirmation for me. All right, so being sensitive to the Lord, and, and we're going to be sensitive to Him as we step out in faith into these things. So the first prayer request here asks that the Lord would direct us and guide us as we begin planting churches. Ask for His direction and His guidance as we plant churches. Because Richmond is only the beginning. And everywhere beyond that. A church planting movement is what, what's going to be happening. A couple years ago at the Landmark, now it was either last year or the year before. I mean, not this last one, but the one before, I believe it was. The Lord gave me a word and He was asking me if we're ready for all the people. And I said, well, I... Think so, yes. I mean, how many people? I mean, we're ready for 10 more. We're ready for 50 more. But ready for 1,000 more? No, Lord. So how many should we be ready for? And the Lord said, you're thinking too small. He said, you need houses, buildings, and arenas. Well, that's a little uncomfortable, Lord. I don't want to tell anyone that. Houses, buildings, and arenas. Well, how do we get there? I don't know, but we're going to pray and obey and let Him deal with that. I know that from the foundations of this church, Apostle Dale's had it in his heart to plant churches. And that is coming full circle. And it is time. And we're going to step out in that. And as we've been praying, as you know, earlier this year, maybe in... Not sure what month it was when Bob Hawk was here and um, a bunch of prophetic word was given and we made a step and a declaration of faith that, okay, we're going to start planting churches. And I felt like the Lord put it on our heart for Richmond, Virginia, as well as up in uh, Connecticut. And so we've been praying about that. And a number of you committed to praying about that. And some of you have come back and said, well, I feel like the Lord's telling us, you know, that this fall we should start pushing that way. And I'm, yeah, that's what the Lord had told me, you know. And so then another person comes and says, well, maybe we should start. And so on and on and on. So let's pray about this and ask the Lord to direct us and guide us as we begin to plant these churches. And in particular, in Richmond, Virginia, and in Connecticut. Number two, let's ask for doors to open and supernatural connections to be made in this regard. That the right people would be at those places and come to those places. And would work with us. Number three, let's ask for the financial provision to carry out this work of church planting. Planting churches is expensive. And I know we haven't planted one yet. Well, I planted one in Colorado. And I know that was expensive and that it sure would have been nice to have a church that would have helped us financially. Right? It would have been a huge major blessing to us to get started. Well, when we plant these churches, we have responsibility there. And just like Paul would go from the, his home church and he'd go out on a missionary journey, they would send him, they would finance it, then that church would grow and flourish, and then they would plant churches and send him money and on and on and on. That's how the kingdom is supposed to work. So for you and I, let's ask for the financial provision to plant these churches to help them get started, right? Let's ask for the, provi pro pro the provision for... We're going to need buildings. And the Lord said you're going to need houses, buildings, and arenas. So we're going to need buildings. We need a building here, right? We, I mean, right now this building fits us, but we're going to grow 
to a place where this building doesn't fit us and we're going to need something bigger. And so let's be believing God for that next step and for the provision for that next step. And, you know, we've been looking at buildings. We've been, um, we've looked at a number of places and everything's always like at least $2 million and the banks just laugh. And so uh, the banks, for whatever reason, don't like to loan money to churches they think is risky. But they don't know our provider, do they? And so what I'm going to ask of you is we're not going to focus here. When we need another place, the Lord will provide another place. He promised to meet all of our needs. And if the next building hasn't shown up yet, then we don't need it yet. That's just how I'm looking at it. And so we're going to continue to believe Him to bring the right building or bring the funds or both. But maybe it's a building that we walk into and costs us very little. Or maybe it's a very expensive, beautiful place and the Lord just gives us the finances to buy it. Either way, it doesn't matter to me. And so, let's believe for that. But rather than focusing here, you know, our building plan for years has been up here, these flags. We've been planting and sowing into the mission field because we believe that as we sow, we will reap. And as we water, we will be watered. And so our building plan has been exactly that, the mission field. But I'm saying that's what we're still going to be doing is the mission field planting churches here in our country, in our nation. We're not going to stop doing any of that. But we're going to bring a focus back home because it's time. It's time. And one of the things that we're going to need for this is an airplane. Now, so, so simply again, let's just ask the Lord for the finances for it. This is an easy thing for Him. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. I've been holding a secret. So, August 29th. Okay, so since... Actually, I need to back up more. How long do we have? We're already long. I got my pilot's license because the Lord directed me to. Not because I thought it'd be fun, or because I needed something to do, or because I was bored, or because I have grandiose dreams of flying or airplanes or anything like that. Right? I got my pilot's license because the Lord told me, go get my pilot's license. And I didn't obey him right away because I was waiting for him to provide me the big fat check to go pay for it. So I, I researched it. I talked to the people. I just didn't step out because the Lord hadn't provided the money yet. And then the Lord got into my face on it and was like, I told you, go get your pilot's license. And so we're standing right there in front of my chair. I committed to him on Monday. I'm going, and I'm signing up, and, and that's what I did. And so the rest is history. I got my pilot's license. Well, the Lord didn't tell me to go get my pilot's license because He wanted me to have something to do. Because He wanted me to be busy. Obviously, there's an end game. If you're going to get your pilot's license, then it's probably because you're going to fly a plane. So I am looking at airplanes. Not expecting to buy any anytime soon because, you know, because. But... You know, we've started the thing. I'm getting my pilot's license. I got my pilot's license. And so now I look at airplanes. I look at airplanes. You know, some people scroll Instagram in their spare time. I look at airplanes. No intention of buying them, but I like airplanes now, you know, cause, because. So I'm looking at airplanes. And um, on August 29th, just scanning through, and that plane, a plane grabbed my eye. And I instantly know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's the plane. We're buying that plane. Like, really? So click on it and look at it. And, well, it's 
really nice plane. I mean, it's an old plane, but like it's very well kept and, and upgraded on the inside, the avionics and stuff and the panel. It's a nice plane. Um, but like, I don't think we're quite ready for that, Lord. You know, it's, it's, we're getting the cart before the horse. We should slow down a little bit. And, you know, once, once we've got four churches and we're, having, we're being scattered and, and worn out from driving all over the place, you know, then maybe, Lord, then we, we'd, we'd have an excuse. And Lord says, no, buy the plane. Okay, so I'll text him. I'm sure he won't agree to anything that I'll have to do, you know. So I text this guy and, and you know, the amount of peace and the amount of everything, I just know this is the right thing. This is it. This is the one we start with. And so I text him and we have conversation and so I call a mechanic friend who's actually a cousin of Jen's and Jen's father uh, flies, has several planes and he tells me that this is the best mechanic he knows. And so when you're going to buy an airplane, you send a, a mechanic to do a pre-buy inspection and he, he inspects the plane to make sure it's airworthy and there's no surprises because I have a friend who bought an airplane and, you know, the thing was junk. They got it home and here it was filled with corrosion and they couldn't even fly it. The wing was ready to fall off and so they ditched it and lost like $120,000 right there down the toilet. And so I call my mechanic and tell him, all right, go down there. And um, I, paid him, I paid him to go down and do a pre-buy inspection on this plane that's down in Georgia. And so he gets down and he looks at the plane and he calls me back and he's like, man, this is a great plane. It's, I mean, super solid. It's just good in every way. He says, the only thing is, is I haven't done um, a compression check on the engine yet, and we're just getting ready to do that, and I'll call you when we're done. Well, a little while later, he calls me, and uh, he says, you don't want the plane. He says, the thing needs an overhaul. He says, the compression's bad in cylinder one and cylinder three. I couldn't even get compression in cylinder one. And he said, it runs. It sounds fine, but yeah, you, you don't want the plane. He packs his stuff and goes home. Well, there is zero disappointment on the inside of me. Because I still know this is it. This is the one. The Lord's going to do something. We'll work something out. This is the plane. Now, I had agreed with him on a price already. He had been asking 220000 and we'd agreed on 215000 for that plane. And so, um, so now I call him up and we talk and the guy's like, man, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to have my mechanic tear the engine apart and see if we can't find out what's going on. It has a mid-time... See, the way those engines work is, and airplanes aren't... aren't um, you, they're not, you don't count miles on an airplane. You know, now a vehicle that has 100,000 miles on it, we kind of put that in a certain category. We know what that means for a vehicle. But for airplanes, they don't go by miles, they go by hours. And so like this particular engine will run for 1,700 hours before it's called they're timed out and they need to be overhauled. So this particular plane had like only 590 hours on it. I mean, it's not even halfway through its lifetime. And so he was confused as to what was going on. So he has his mechanic tear it apart and look at it. And so he calls me back and he says, all right, so here's the deal. The thing, we're going to put a brand new um, top end, all new pistons on this, on this engine. And of course, we're going to want more money for it then. Well, yeah, of course. And um, so I said, okay, you talk to my mechanic and you explain everything you're planning on doing to this engine and then I'll talk to him. So he does that. My mechanic calls me back and he says, hey, if he does what he says he's going to do, that'll be a great, great engine. It'll be basically be a zero-time engine. And so you'll, you'll be able to use it for a very long time. And um, so, so uh, I call the guy back and says, so you said you wanted more. What were you, what were you expecting? He said, well, I'm going to advertise it for 229 I said, okay. Well, see, my mechanic told me, he said, don't pay more than 223. If he does that to the engine, don't pay more than 223. I said, okay. 
So I, uh, I talked to him and I just explained, um, I said, well, that's more than what I was wanting to give. Um, would you take 220? He's like, no, I'm going to go ahead and advertise it. Okay. Again, zero concern. Zero disappointment with me. This is our plane. You can say what you want. I know that that plane is going to be our plane. So the next morning, he calls me back. He goes, would you do 223? Like, have you been talking to my mechanic? He hadn't been. Um, I'm like, yeah, I would do 223. Okay, it's your plane. So we sign an agreement, and I send him a deposit, and um, they're working on it. It's supposed to be um, finished sometime this coming week to where it will be ready to go be picked up. So if you're wondering what it is, it's a uh, Cessna 182, and um, so it holds four people. It's not going to be, that's obviously... As we grow, as we fly further, we're going to get a bigger plane, but it's a great plane for where we're at right now to accomplish some of the things that I believe the Lord is wanting us to accomplish. And so I went, I went and talked to Apostle Dale. He was, of course, all excited about it. And I said, look, you know, do you, um, do you have any red lights, green lights on the inside? You know, where are you? And he said, man, I have nothing but green lights. Go for it. I think this is an answer to prayer from years ago. He said, the Lord told me, he said, back when we lived in Titusville, they lived right across the street from an airport. Right, Zach? And, and Dale wanted to get his pilot's license. And man, every now and then they'd have these sales or ground school is free or, you know, all these things. And so multiple times he went to go do it. And he said, the Lord wouldn't let him. He said, no, I have a man for you that will be a pilot. And so now he and I look across the table at each other and laugh because we're seeing some of the rest of the story. So, all the way back to financial provision. Because we've been having uh, an issue with the banks in getting a loan uh, for this airplane. And so, let's just pray and ask the Lord for favor with the banks and provision on this airplane. Alright? Number, number four. And these two, number four and five, are the most important in, in my viewpoint. Number four, let's ask for revival in our own church and in our own life, personally. Ask for personal revival and renewal and in our church. And number five, let's ask for an awakening of evangelism to take place in ourselves and our church family. An awakening of evangelism. We live in a time and a season where it is more important than ever. The time's short. We need to be active and we need to make our focus the work of the Lord and do it by all means necessary in, in, in all the ways, but most importantly, doing our part of it the way the Lord directs us to do it. But we don't want to do it and just burn ourselves out. We want to be on a fire, on fire, lighting others on fire, and it has real divine purpose behind it. Did you need me to repeat those? Okay, I'll go over the list again. Ask that the Lord, ask the Lord to direct and guide us as we begin planting churches. And in particular, um, for the first ones that we're going to be planting. One in Richmond and probably in Connecticut. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. Newsflash. I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. That's a great question we should pray and ask Him. Yeah. 
um, a particular city in Connecticut. Where in Connecticut? So when I say I don't know what I'm doing, is I really mean, I don't know. How do you plant churches? I don't really know, other than let's just pray and do what the Lord directs us to do. It's going to take a group effort. It's going to take us together. Some of you, I suppose, will probably end up moving to these places. I don't know. You know, in Armenia, that church there, church of 10,000 people, they sent out 10,000 missionaries. That's as many people as are in the entire church. And they just would keep growing because they were investing in the work. And, and by missionaries, I mean missionaries into their own country even. Armenia. And so the same thing can happen for us. As we invest in our nation and in our state and in our regions, up and down the East Coast, you know, Apostle Dale has had dreams and visions of this. The Lord has spoken to him about things like this. I've had some dreams and visions regarding this way back when we lived in Colorado about churches being planted up and down the East Coast and that we would be a part of that. So on the 29th is when I found that airplane when I just came across it. And um, five days before that, I had a friend who was praying about us in particular. Now he doesn't know that I'm that, that kind of stuff. He doesn't know. And um, Tim, Tim Ratcliffe, some of you have met him. We call him Big Tim. He's going to be here at the end of the month to do a medical training for some of you that have signed up for it. <clears throat> and he's out of Florida, and he said, I was praying. He, he just told me this today. Okay? I had already decided to come and share this about the airplane tonight, and then he calls me. And I didn't answer it. And then the Lord's like, you, you should talk to him. Okay, I was preparing for the sermon, Lord. So I call him back. And this is what he has to tell me. He said uh, on, on August 24th, which was five days before I found that plane, he said, I was praying for you guys in your church. And I was asking the Lord if he had anything that he wanted to say. And this is what he told me, and I wrote it down. I said, well, can you text it to me? So this, I'm reading to you the text he sent to me this evening. This is what he wrote, the Lord said to him. It's time. It's time now. As Abraham tried to produce 13 years prior, and it wasn't the plan or time, he thought those dreams had died and God was done with him or he messed up too much, but in his perfect time, God made covenant with him and placed him into the middle of his destiny, the beginning of his promise to be a father of nations. When you're in covenant and right standing with God, the time is now yieldedness. And I think that's a very timely message for us as we begin to step out in faith in these directions. None of us are experts in church planning. None of us are experts in how do these things... I mean, we're not a, a big Kenneth Copeland ministry, right? We're Church of the Word, but internationals attached to our name. And so I do believe that the Lord has big things in store for us and He'll take us as far as we want to go. So, step out on the water with me, and let's go walk, or run. Alright, stand with me if you would. Worship team, you can come. Father, we just thank you so much that you are the God of more than enough, and that you reveal to us the steps we ought to take, and that our steps are ordered by you. Father, we want to get it right. More than anything else, we want to be pleasing to You and, and to fulfill and walk in all the things that You have created us for and that You have in Your heart for us to do together and individually. 
So Father, I set myself here before You and say, here am I, send me. Here is our church, send us. We are Yours, we're not our own. You are Lord of Church of the Word. And we give You the right to speak to us on any of these matters. To lead us as You see fit. Lord, each one of these requests that were mentioned, we believe that You have the right answer for each one of those things. That the provision has already been prepared. By Your Spirit, I ask You for revelation for us as we pray about these things. I ask for a birthing to take place on the inside of us. And that we would see, to see clearly what You want done. We don't need to see the whole story, Father, but we do need to know that the next step we take is ordered by You. And I thank You for that. We bless You, Lord. You said You'd never leave us, never forsake us. Thank You, Lord, for giving us that promise and Your Word on that. We worship You. Remember, don't ever get ahead of me, but don't stay far behind me, because I shall lead you, and I shall guide you, and I shall direct you in the ways that I have for you. I have a plan for each of you, and each of you are so important. Each of you are part of my kingdom. Each of you shall be faithful if you walk the walk, if you seek my face, if you trust in me. Things are only beginning. I have so many people to harvest. The fields are white with harvest, and it's going to get whiter and whiter. But you are the people that are going to bring them in. You are the people that are going to pray. You're the people that are going to intercede. You're the people that are going to pray in tongues even though you don't know what you're praying for. But I'm laying a foundation for me to work. Wait till I work. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to be amazed. Because I'm a supernatural God. Look at the Word. I've always been supernatural. I've always been King and Lord and God. And I shall never change. I will. And my son will rule and reign in this world. It will be an awesome time. But you are here for a certain purpose. You are here to serve me. You have been created for this time. 
and each person is important to me. So seek my face. Those things that you have buried, those things that you thought they could never come to pass. But that's because you counted me out. But don't count me out because I'm only beginning to work. I have been working in the backgrounds while the devil's having his heyday. I'm creating people to do things they never thought they would do. I'm creating people with money to come into my kingdom, provision to come into my kingdom, people to change our minds and hearts in a supernatural way because I'm God. <laughs> you know, you may be way too small. Give me your heart. Give me your desires. Give me your prayers and your intercessions because I'm going to show myself a mighty God in whom all blessings flow, in whom nothing is too hard. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord, for he is good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. is now don't let fear hold you back my path for you is good I'm for you I'm for you I am for you release that to me for I have a plan and a purpose for which I've created you to do and time is short you don't have lots of time time is short let a hunger and a thirst and a passion be ignited on the inside of you to carry out your perfect purpose, the purpose I created you for, the path I've created for you. Don't allow any substitute. The time to yield is now. Who can say, I yield to you, Lord? I yield. You know, something I forgot to tell you about the airplane was, I was telling, you know, I was out in Colorado last week and, and I was talking to Pastor Jay about it. And as soon as he found out about it, he was like, hey, Church of the Word in Colorado is going to sow $5,000 towards that airplane. I believe in that. That's the Lord. We want to be part of that harvest. And so, uh, so we have already had someone that step forward and, and do that. So that's good. And then, speaking of Colorado, John is going to be leaving us tomorrow, and he and Prophet Bob are going out to Colorado to do a week of meetings out there at our church out there. And so, let's be praying this week. We're going to pray for him in just a moment, but let's be praying for him and for uh, Prophet Bob and for Pastor Jay and the people out there that the Lord would do all that he has in his heart through them and through his word right while he's there John you have a really important gifting you know just like David he could play around Saul and the very atmosphere that David set with his instrument would drove evil spirits away from Saul 
And so more than just David has going on for him, what you've got going on for you is the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of you, and David didn't have that. And so, Father, we just thank you so much for sending John here to us. Thank you for blessing us with such a precious gift. And I ask you, Lord, to just fill him full of strength and anointing this week as he ministers and as he um, walks in step with you, Lord, that you would help him set an atmosphere that would be pleasing to you and provide an atmosphere that you can move freely in. I thank you for that. Father, cause his fingers and his mind to work in synchronicity in the name of Jesus in an anointed way. Father, we lift up Bob to you as well and we just thank you that every need of these two are met. Every bill is paid and that you give him the words to speak, the boldness to say it, and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. And come back home to us. All right, one way we love God in this house is we love on each other, so do that as you go. We have a time of fellowship downstairs as well. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. You glad to be here? Amen. Me too. In this very fast-paced, distraction-filled life that we live, the psalmness of Psalms 84 took a deep breath, calmed himself, slowed himself, and meditated on the importance of being in the presence of the Lord. It's a beautiful psalm that will just give you a pause. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your, your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is a man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, O God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, an everlasting light. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright before him. O Lord of hosts, 
blessed is the man who trusts in you. Do you feel, do you feel that peace? His priority was being in the presence of the Lord, in the courts of his house. One day we'll be in his courts for all of eternity, but tonight we're right there. So let's stand up together as family and let's worship him and thank him and praise him because he is so worthy of it. Amen. God says that he's enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And so our praise glorifies him. When God does something good for you, man, be sure to tell somebody. And maybe a whole bunch of people. You may be seated. Here in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and Jen and I are going to serve you the elements, so we'll come around and we'll pass that out um, to everyone. But while we're doing that, I want you to be thinking about something the Lord has done for you. And I'm going to lay the, uh, the mic right up here on the pulpit. And so, those of you that have a praise, a highway to build, something the Lord has done for you, just come up and you can stand in line and just share briefly, I mean, not an entire sermon, because we have one of those coming later tonight, but just very quickly, a praise report of what God has done for you, because part of, sometimes we get into this thinking that our, the praise and worship time of the service is when we sing. But it's more than that, isn't it? Right? Praise and worship is anytime we're telling a good report of Him. And it's, it's also a lifestyle that's lived. But in Hebrews it says that the sacrifice of praise on our lips. So we know that's one way and more than just in song, but in telling of the goodness of God. So who's going to be first? I want to see a hand. Okay. Alicia's hand was up first. So you come um, Kat and, and Alan come stand in line and whoever wants to come behind them may come stand behind them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share two right away. We had two miracles happen in my family today. Um, my brother is, my younger brother's up from South Carolina and he was driving my dad's motorcycle last night and a cat ran in front of him and swerved and crashed the bike and he's alive and well with just a few scratches and bruises. And then the second one is um, I have two siblings who haven't spoken in over 10 years. And we've been praying for my brother in this relationship. And um, 
this morning he told my mom to call my sister who was also up from South Carolina over so that he could reconcile with her. So over 10 years. Hallelujah. Anyway, I am just thankful for my friends that I get to call family that God has placed in my life. And that's what I'm thankful for today. How many of you have ever been in a place where you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place? You've got a decision to make, and there are two options, and neither one of them look good to you. Well, that happened to me this week, and I spent literally two or three hours going back and forth and saw no way out of this. But I spent it with God. I kept going, God, I need help. I can't figure this out. I know the world sometimes says just sleep on it, but something different happened to me. I spent two or three hours with God, and then I went to bed. And it was as if I was with God all night. And when I woke up in the morning, I knew exactly what to do and had complete peace about it. And I thank God for that. Um, So my husband and I, about two years this past August, had been praying for God to increase our family. And we were told by the doctors that both of us had health problems, that that just probably wasn't an option for us, that we should go see specialists. And we decided not to. We were just going to pray we were going to seek counsel here and this past April we were anointed up here with oil and prayed over and later that month we found out that we're expecting our first baby Um, Some of you knew or had heard through some people that um, I had some kidney stone issues back when um, when I was pregnant with Avery and immediately after. Um, So those of you that hadn't heard the story, I had a couple, um, two very large ones, one on each side. And um, the one, they both ended me in the ER uh, in immense pain and the one I had to have surgery for about three weeks after she was born, which was a whole thing. Um, And then during that surgery, they found out that I had another one on the other side, massive. They told me I would never be able to pass it. Um, I ended up in the ER as that started moving. Um, It stopped about halfway through and I was in New Jersey at the time and I just said, Lord, I do not want to be here. I don't want to have surgery for this. Um, So I said, I'm going to leave it with you. I ended up driving home and um, I saw my specialist the next week and he said, you know, you have a 20% chance of passing it on your own. But if that's what you want to do, I'm going to let you try. We're not going to schedule the surgery. I'll give you a couple of weeks. Um, And I said, all right, Uh, gave it to the Lord and I passed it that night. Um, It was huge. It was massive. I don't know. just amazing testimony. Um, <laughs> and then also, just last night, um, Bryce woke up having some nightmares, which has never happened. It was kind of out of the norm. And he was extremely hot. Like, he felt like he was on fire. I knew he had a fever. I just prayed over him um, for about an hour and prayed peace for him. He finally fell asleep and he woke up. No fever. It was like it was had not happened so 
Praise the Lord. anybody if we missed you just raise your hand or if you didn't count right or if you need two of them you need a double dose all right hallelujah what does the bread mean to you just shout it out healing healing what would give you the right to believe such an outlandish thing I want to hear it again. Jesus said so. What were some of the other responses? The Word. Yeah, Isaiah 53 says, By His wounds we are healed. And He said, My body, this bread is my body, right? Jesus said so. So that's enough for you and I. So let's take the bread and and recognizing that Jesus' wounds were for our physical healing, for our soulish healing, And that everything we need to walk in divine health is available to us in Him.
Father, we lay claim right now on health and life in our physical body according to the wounds that you suffered and the pain that you carried. And if there be any pain in this room tonight, right now, I command it to be gone in the name of Jesus. Father, we believe and we see in your word that you've made a way for us to be healed by your power and we just receive it and accept it right now and someone say be it unto me according to your word so how about the cup what does the cup mean to you forgiveness covenant love family and covenant covers all of that covenant That covenant not only makes you have the same last name as God. I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? You're in His family line. Gives you His name. But it also gives you provision. It gives you protection. It gives you all that you need for life and godliness. That covenant. And He sealed that covenant with His blood. That's how strongly he believed in it. So how about you? Do you believe in it? Let's take it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for covenant. Thank you that you have made us your own and that you've made a way for us to walk in step with you and in your provision and in your life and be guided by you. Thank you for coming and living on the inside of us. Thank you for the blood. Thank you that our past is not counted against us, but that you've given us your own right standing. That's glorious. Thank you, Father. All right, hallelujah. If you would, you can pass the cups into the center aisle or, and our ushers will bring a pail along for you to put it into. has a real heart for you. Each one of you is very, very precious and valuable and have a special place in His kingdom for His purposes. Nobody here tonight is insignificant. Nobody. And that's good news. All right, we'll release the children to Children's Church and the teachers to their various places. While they're going, let's just pray a blessing over them. Father, I thank you for these little ones. And Lord, we know that you have big things in store for them, and we just call forth the right people at the right time to walk alongside of them all the days of their life. Lord, I ask you for 
godly spouses for these little ones, that you would even begin to prepare those individuals now. Thank you, Father, for your protection upon them. We just call them the protected of the Lord. And we bless them and give them peace in Jesus' name. And amen. All right, why don't you turn and bless someone, hug someone, tell someone hello. Let somebody know that you're glad that they're here. glad to see you all tonight, especially those that are here for the very first time. This is your first time here. Can you just wave at us so we can acknowledge you right here in the back? Welcome the Church of the Word International. If you'd like, you can fill that card out and throw it into the offering basket when it goes by. Who needs a cash envelope for your giving? If you need one, you can just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. And if you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. We actually need all of those filled out to process. Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. You know, as I was considering what to exhort you guys on, and Lord, what do you have for us in the area of finances, I was just drawn back to this chapter, and I thought, well, no, I need some new material. <laughs> We've been in Luke 12. I've been, but you know what? We don't need new material. We need what the Lord has for us. So if he wants us here for a whole year, we'll be here. We'll take it one, one uh, week at a time. So it, here in Luke 12, you know, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to sort of, uh, it's going to be the gen revised as we go along here. There's certain verses I'm going to read. But, you know, it, he, Jesus is talking here in verse 22 to his disciples and you know what he's, he was exhorting them? He says, take no thought, actually take no anxious thought for your life. He says, don't worry about your life. You're not supposed to, it's not that you don't think about what's going on in life, but not to be anxious, not to be worried. That's what he's saying. You know, fearing lack, being nervous about a deadline, or all consumed with worry about coming up short, that's not trust. And really what that is an indication of is that I'm viewing myself as the source. Right? Well, it's real quiet. Well, y'all are quiet. <laughs> right? I mean, if I'm all consumed with worry, I'm not looking at God as provider. I'm looking at me as provider because i got to figure this one out. And if I'm realizing that God's my provider, then, oh, the weight comes off of me. There's some rest in that because... Well, he said he would take care of this, right? So if, if the devil's sitting here handing you a hammer to beat yourself up, just push it back, put it away. You know, no, you don't have to be in condemnation. It's just an indicator of, of something. Hey, I'm talking to me. I'm probably, those that are closest to me, especially my husband, knows that, you know, I, I need to be reminded of this from time to time. So I'm not standing here as one that, that doesn't know what this feels like. But this is a comforting passage. You know, he goes on and he says to consider something. You know, don't take this anxious thought. Consider this. Well, what is consider meaning? 
Well, it means to, in other words, think about this over here. If I consider, if I said, Karen, would you consider babysitting for my children? I'm wanting her to think about it and come to a conclusion on the matter, right? So he said, consider the ravens. He said, consider the wildflowers, the grass of the fields. Well, what are we supposed to, to take away from that? Well, the birds, they don't stress and worry about where they're going to get their next food, their next meal, because he says the Father feeds them. No, they, they don't have some, you know, you know, uncanny ability to just, no, it says the Father feeds them, that he's feeding them. They're not stressed and worried about it. All right, so the, fl- the flowers in the fields, did they have to work hard and really save up and really work, you know, three different jobs to provide so, such elaborate, you know, apparel? <laughs> no, the Father did that. He, he closed the grass of the fields. So, you know, if you would apply some people's perspective to this, they might think, well, what's, we don't need wildflowers. That's a little extravagant. I mean, all that, you know, glorious beauty, that's a little over the top, don't you think? I mean, what's wrong with just green grass? In fact, lush, thick, you know, beautiful green grass is a little bit, I mean, you know, we only need our day-to-day, you know, daily bread, so there can be a few brown patches. <laughs> we can have a little bit of scarcity, and we'd be okay, because that's really more than what we need. Huh, that's not how God thinks. That's not how God thinks. He's abundant. He is over the top. And if he will, it's, it goes on and talks about if he will clothe the grass like that, take care of the birds like that, how much more us, who are of so much more valuable, so much more value. These are lesser of value things. We are of much more value. He, how much more? Us. So, verse 28. So, if that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, that doesn't even last very long. How much more will he clothe you, ye of little faith? So, the stress and the worry and the fear and all of that is an indication of small faith. The greater the rest, the, the greater the faith. It just reveals, the lack of rest reveals um, lack of faith. So, going on here. Verse 29, where are we at? It says, and do, okay, so you're, do not set your heart on these things. Some translations, I think the King James says, don't seek after these things. Don't, we, did the Father just tell us, don't seek your natural provision? Wow, you guys are you guys are quiet. Either you're really good listeners or or, or or something. Jesus said, "Don't seek after your natural provision. Don't pursue it and be consumed with it." Why? That's how the pagans do it. That's how the world does it. They raise their kids to everything is about becoming financially free. Find a good vocation. You got to have a good career path. You got to set yourself up. Come on, get this straight. Get yourself set up. That is the push. This is supposed to set us apart. That's not how we do it, right? Okay, I, I think we're, I'm with some like minded people. That's not how we're to do it. We're not to seek after that. Here's why. Well, I got ahead of myself. 
If I don't seek after my natural provision, how am I going to get it? How many of you can live down here very long with not a single solitary cent? And oh, I know, you're going to tell me about how you can go off the grid and oh, how you're going to live off of pebbles and grass and twigs. And You're going to need some things down here. So how are you going to get it if you're not supposed to seek it? Where are we at? Verse, uh, we, were in, we were in verse 30. Here. Here's, here is so much comfort. Don't seek after these things. Don't seek after your natural provision. Your Father knows you need them. That should comfort you and I. Because if God knows I need them, what, should, what does that reveal to me? If God knows I need them, that means he has a plan. God's not a procrastinator. God is a preparer. He knows what you need. He has a plan to meet that need. Hey, just think about this. From the beginning of the world, he had a plan. He knew there was going to be a fall. He, did he prepare Jesus for us? Did he prepare an ark? Did he prepare a ram for, for Abraham? Did he prepare time and time again for his children? They would come up against it, and he had a plan. Yeah. Over, what's he doing right now? Jesus says, I go to prepare. A, he is a preparer. There is not one thing you could come up against that God didn't know that you needed it. And if he knows that you needed it, he has the provision for it. He knows that you need them. You know, this has comforted me so many times because I'm going to just kind of jump off on a bunny trail here for a second and let you in. You know, many of you know that the Lord gave a word to Pastor Sid to get his pilot's license. So he did. And, you know, the temptation could be is, okay, Lord, well, when, when we have the funds for that. Yeah, I know we have, have some for our house, but you know, but our, but our house is, we're going to put that first over the word of the Lord. No, we're not. So this has comforted me because, you know, it wasn't about just check a box, get your pilot's license. If the, if the Lord is going to ask him to get his pilot's license, then the Lord knows that, okay, raise a hands. How many people know anything about flying? It's not cheap. If you're going to go on and keep it up, it's not inexpensive. It's going to take some of this, you know, natural things that he says, your father knows that you need. So the Lord knew that. The Lord knew there was going to be, well, if you're going to get your pilot's license, probably he has a purpose for that. Probably going to need a plane. Probably going to need an annual once in a while. Probably going to need some maintenance once in a while. Probably going to need this and that and the other thing that I don't even know right now. But the Lord knew that. I feel so free about that because he gave this word and he knew the need. So glory, hallelujah, he's got a plan and he's got the provision. And let me tell you, if you will stay on the path of God, you will intersect the provision. Because what does it say? It says, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Don't you think, you know, parents, as we raise our kids to 
we raise them to, Lord, what is the path and purpose for my life? That is how. And then don't you think, well, the Lord might say, well, I want you to get a job over here. I want you to, uh, you know, I think I want you in this vocation. Well, I want you to invest. The Lord's going to have you do some things in the natural, but you don't go out putting, you know, your priority and your push is do that. And, well, you know, if I have time, we'll check in with God. And, well, you know, Lord kind of said this to me, but that don't make sense because I don't have the money, so God have a living. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not either or. It's get your priorities straight. The Lord will direct you to do things. He will walk you through in abundance if you'll stay on his path. The provision will be there. But are you on his path? And are you all caught up in unrest and worry and stress? Again, that's just an indicator that I'm, I'm my source. I'm looking at me as my source. But I'm just telling you, <clears throat> this has brought a whole lot of comfort to me. And I just share it with you because maybe it'll, maybe it'll bring you some comfort too. The Lord knows. Just, just think about that. The Father knows you need it. And if he knows, he has a plan. He's got a provision. All right, we'll take a hold of your tithe. And let's return that to him. Lord, I'm so grateful for you tonight. I'm so thankful that you see us, that you're the God that sees in advance, that nothing catches you by surprise, and that anything and everything you would ever call us to do, you will provide the way, and that you do it so good. You provide so abundantly and and not in lack. You don't think small. So I just... Thank you, and I give you praise, and I worship you tonight for being that kind of God, that kind of provider. So we, we're glad to return the tithe to you and to partner with you, to put you first in our life and just acknowledge you as our source, to acknowledge you as the provider. So we rest in that. We rest in your provision. We, we rest in your word and your promise to meet every need as we seek you first and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, and the ushers will pass the baskets, and the people return the tithe to the Lord. So there's going to be a couple of changes here. Um, so take out your bulletin, look at that if you have it. Tomorrow night is the, is the Family Life Barn Party. That's still on. Um, but there's two changes of date. So the ladies' breakfast... There's a date change for that. It's going to be Saturday, October 22nd, instead of the 15th. So Saturday, October 22nd, instead of this coming Saturday. Um, if th- what we ask of you ladies is, if, you, if that date change causes you to be unable to attend, please make sure you cross your name off from the list back in the back. If that makes so, oh, now I can go, and, you, and now you're coming when you weren't, please put your name on the list. So just um, wanted to point that out. There's a list in the back, which affects the men's breakfast. So the men's breakfast will still be on the 22nd. However, the location's to be determined. Is that right? All right. So if you plan to attend the men's breakfast, talk to Josh. That's probably your, you know, most up-to-speed source of information. I once heard... A woman of God say, we are the most blessed people on earth. 
Anyone know someone that talks that way? Blonde, yeah. You know, it's true. And the fact that we get to do life together and that we get to walk in these end times together and that we, we are, we're living in a time and a season where I think the, hey, welcome back from the honeymoon. Jake and Elizabeth are back home, so welcome. And so we're living in this time that I think the apostles would look at envy with of what's available to us and and all that is in front of us and what we're going to walk into and experience. And so, I don't know about you, but you know, when you start out making a cake, the foundations of that cake, the original ingredients and starting to put the ingredients together, that's pretty necessary, but I'd rather show up as the icing's getting put on, right? And that's you and I, we've been showing up when we're getting breaking out the icing. And, and at the end of, or closer to the end of the story. And so there's a part in it that you and I are going to play. And we have opportunities all around us. And because of technology, do you guys have the video ready? Um, we'll play that here in a minute. Okay. So um, because of technology, you know, we can do live face-to-face, sort of, I mean, on screen, from one screen to the next, Zoom calls and all these things around the world. I mean, we've already had, do you remember when we had Stephen Mirabella preach, but we had him up on the screen, and we had a whole service, and he brought the service to us. I'll bet Paul looks at that and going, wow, wish I'd had that. (laughs) So, Pastor Kurt Owen sent us a message, and he wanted us to, he wanted you to know the part that you're having in his ministry, as well as some things that they are doing uh, around the hurricane. Hello, Church of the Word International. First, I want you to know I miss you guys. Uh, I think the world of you guys, and you're an important part of our family, and you're important partners with this ministry. wanted to share with you a little bit about what we're doing right now, but also wanted to share with you this. Uh, just recently... I think within the last month, we had put some money together to buy uh, shoes for children in Uganda that were escaping some war-torn areas that actually had gone to live on an island so that people wouldn't kill them. And we we actually thought we were buying 100 shoes, but we ended up buying 200 shoes for this. And you guys made that possible. What a lot of people don't know is a lot of the diseases that the kids get is in their feet. And so what we did, but they wear these like Crocs imitation things, rubber shoes. But we bought them leather shoes so that their feet are far more protected. And you guys really helped make that possible. Right now, you can be in agreement with us. We are going to be putting clothes on, clothes on those same 200 kids. It's going to co- cost us a couple extra thousand more. So just be in agreement that we're doing that. But I wanted to share what you're, with you what we're doing with the hurricane relief. Um, right now, uh, we were not hit. We got some winds and things like that. But we were on the opposite coast. But what we did was is first we've been helping a first responder who was on his way into work during the storm and he uh, hit a hydroplane, hit a guardrail and broke his back. He's a fireman. And uh, thank God, uh, feeling has been restored. He's able to sit up and he's having feelings, but we're helping he and his family right now with medical bills because of that. Uh, There was a church that had several members of their church hit and their houses were flooded and things and so we were paying to have people rip that carpet up and get it out of there that's one of the biggest problems in houses and potentially help rip some of the drywall out 
Uh, the other thing that we're doing, there was a veteran, a man that was a sergeant major, served overseas for uh, decades, and um, his roof got ripped it off his house. And so what we're doing is, is we're actually, we paid to help uh, save some of his belongings and get them stored, but are also helping pay with some of the restoration. Um, there's something else we're doing right off. I don't quite remember what it was, but we're doing a lot to functionally help those people. And I, I will tell you this, what you give will directly go into changing those people's lives. And so uh, thank you for even being interested in asking about this. But thank you for everything you're doing with us all over the world. Again, you're an important part of Curdoan Ministries, and we love you guys very much. And hopefully I'll see you guys very, very soon. Remember, Jesus is risen and victory is assured. I've had um, some of you have been asking me, hey, you know, do you, is there anything going on down there with the hurricane relief? And there's multiple different ways to be a part of it and to give. And, and so this is one of the ways. This is someone that we know, right? And so any funds that you want to go to them, just uh, designate it KOM and we'll make sure um, that it gets down there to them. You know, God is a God of abundance. And I liked so much what you were sharing, um, Jen, on how God provides more than enough, not just enough to get by. I remember one of the first times that my eyes were opened to the extravagance of God. Now, I was raised a little Mennonite kid and, uh, in a widow's household, and so a lot of times we didn't have enough, right? We, I'd walk around with holes in my shoes, and, and you know we just went on and on and on with things and never went hungry, but there was definitely need and lack in our life. And as, as I come along to, let's see, about 1997, a few days before Christmas, I was down in Belize, and I'm a 17-year-old, just turned 17, and um, they decided to take us, we had, we had, as a youth group, we had bought a yellow school bus, and we drove it all the way from Missouri down to Belize, so all the way through Mexico, and um, our pastor went along and a bunch of other adults to keep us kids in line, you know. But So we go down there to Belize, and then um, we had done a bunch of mission work down there, and it was getting close time to go home, so they said, okay, we're going to take you out to one of the Keys, and you can go snorkeling. And so we ride out there until we're out of sight of land, you know, and there's this little bitty sand island with a few palm trees on it. Um, the thing's maybe as big as our church property here, the parking lot and church building. It's just a real small island. You can't see land from anywhere, right? You're out in the middle of nowhere. And um, they give us these snorkels and fins, and we go out snorkeling. And I was just blown away by the amount, the bright, colorful fish that were just everywhere. The coral, the every color you can imagine of fish. I didn't even know they made fish in those colors. Right? Now, you kids that grew up on Nemo movies, you know. But see, I grew up Mennonite. I didn't have those movies. So I hadn't seen that. And we were taught, you know, to stay away from bright, flashy colors. You know, because you shouldn't draw attention to yourself because that might be pride. And so, we, you know, had muted colors. And... Um, in my way of thinking, God should have made all the fish gray, just different shades of gray. And, but we're out here, we're snorkeling, and I'm looking around at all these bright, I mean the brightest colors of fish, and it is just one of the most beautiful things I've seen. And I realized, wow, God didn't need to do any of that. And He just did it because He wanted to. And I had an epiphany that day. God doesn't care about 19 shades of gray. 
and that he likes brilliant colors, else he wouldn't have made those fish that way. And that God is a God of abundance, and he can do things that are just extravagant because he's good that way. And so let's, let's keep in mind that he is an extra, extravagant God even in our finances.